0: And if you know anything about our culture today, you're allowed to offend only the Christian. Everybody else is off base, but you can say whatever you want to about the Christ follower. Why? Well, of course, why? Because they know we're the ones who believe this. They know we're the ones that were the voice. However, it doesn't mean we're supposed to be rude and obnoxious. Paul says in Colossians, let your conversation... Always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello, and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Bill. It's good to have you with us. Today, we finish in Pastor Jeff's series talking about sexuality, identity, and Jesus. If you've missed any episodes in the series, you can find them all wherever you listen to podcasts. And just a warning, there is some language and themes throughout the series that may not be suitable for younger listeners. Let's hear the rest of this message now from Pastor Jeff. Remember what we read in 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. All of the sins a person commits are outside the body. Whoever sins sexually sins out against their own body. And then he says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And so when I read that, here's where my mind goes. I keep hearing people say, my body, my choice. What I would say to you is you're wrong. It's not your body, it's God's. It's God's temple, his law. It's not your body, your choice. It's God's temple, his law. He gave it to you. He owns it. You've been bought with a price. It's his temple. Now notice something in verse 25. Verse 25 seems to be a repeat of verse 23 because in verse 23, we're told they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. And then verse 25 says they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creature or the creator. I'm kind of disappointed there. It, it, the, the, the translation serves its purpose, but let me give you the actual Greek translation of verse 25. Here's what it says. They changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the one who created, who is blessed unto the ages, amen. So it's not simply created things. It is the creature himself or herself. So rather than icons or created things, Now we give ultimate worth, which is what worship is, to give ultimate worth to above and beyond God. Rather than trust the wisdom of God, chastity and singleness, faithfulness in marriage, we trust our own wisdom and violate God's precepts. We dishonor our own bodies by using them in a way they were never designed. And the Bible simply tells us when we do that, we're no longer worshiping God, we're worshiping the creature. We give ultimate worth to sex with each other rather than intimacy with God. And then comes the final phase, the fourth and final stage. First, they become futile in their thinking when they don't seek God. Second, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. They actually think they have wisdom, but they're foolish. They think they know better than God how our lives should be going. Third, God gives them over to their depravity to degrade their bodies with one another. And in the fourth phase, God allows the due penalty of idolatry to take its course. But again, in hopes of repentance. Again, in hopes that man would repent. And then, verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The Greek word shameful is translated dishonor. It's the Greek word atomia. And again, it means that you use your bodies in a way that dishonors it, that violates design. And this time, rather than all sexual immorality, Paul says the fourth stage is that women began to have sex with women. Now, why does he do that? Why would he say, if you notice, your text should say, even women, even women exchanged. And the reason is, is because typically in culture, women are always the last to be affected by the decay of morals. Did you know that? Women usually hold the culture together, they're not so easily moved. Typically, they're more solid. They're more faithful. This is a compliment to women. So when you go into a culture and women are having sex with women, Paul is saying, you know, you've arrived at the fourth cycle, at the fourth phase. He says, even females change the natural use. Listen, folks, this is not up for grabs here. I know you might have read other books or heard somebody say something. This is not a trick. This is not tricky. This is easy. He uses the word cressus, and cressus is always sexual intercourse. There's no, there's no trying to pull the wool over your eyes. He says, females change the natural use, cressus, sexual intercourse of their bodies to unnatural use. The natural refers all the way back to the created order, marriage, sex, for a man and a woman, male and female in the context of marriage. Now, just to make sure we understand that, look what happens in verse 27. In the same way, okay, what way? the degrading of your bodies with one another, the men also abandoned natural relations. There's that word again. Same word, cressus, sexual intercourse, with women and were inflamed with lusts for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received themselves the due penalty for their error. Now the question is, what is the due penalty for their error? You with me so far? Now, this is where I said that I was going to, I probably read a thousand pages since last June trying to understand these concepts. And I have never seen so much hermeneutical gymnastics when it comes to scripture. So you've got over here, you've got this little group and it is small because no serious scholar ever would hold this view. But you've got a little group over here that's trying to mess around with Greek context and Greek words somehow to try to downplay what we read in Romans 1 because this is This is a pretty powerful passage of scripture. So I read Matthew Vine's book, no relation, called God and the Gay Christian because I kept hearing parents and other people referred to it. I thought, okay, I'm going to learn something that will open my eyes to something I've never seen. And I was gravely disappointed because here's the premise of Matthew Vine's book. It's like this. I, I can save you the reading. You can go read it if you want. But here's the premise God would never want us to hold a position or say anything that would be unkind to someone. Therefore, we must reinterpret all the passages that talk about gay or lesbian relationships as being sinful. And he bases it on Matthew 7 when Jesus says, You should not bear bad fruit. So he calls bad fruit anytime you offend somebody. I'm sorry, that is the premise of the book. First of all, that's really bad exegesis of Matthew 7. But second, do you really think God would never want us to say anything that would offend somebody? The gospel's offensive. It tells you you're a sinner and you're going to a Christless eternity if you don't repent. That is offensive. And if you know anything about our culture today, you're allowed to offend only the Christian. Everybody else is off base, but you can say whatever you want to about the Christ follower. Why? Well, of course, why? Because they know we're the ones who believe this. They know we're the ones that were the voice. However, it doesn't mean we're supposed to be rude and obnoxious. Paul says in Colossians, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, The way i'm talking to you might be totally different than the way i talk with someone i meet out there i'm trying to wake you up i'm trying to talk a little loud maybe a little fast to get you open your eyes because it's so easy to get sucked into culture that is moving so quickly away from god we need revival where people go back to the word of god and pray for healing but when revival happened in the past, every time revivals happen, it starts through repentance. People say, we are sinners. We're going the wrong way. Please, God, forgive us. And God shows up. But what does he mean when he says, even females change the natural use, cressus, sexual intercourse? course, to unnatural use. And then he says, in the same way, men did the same thing and inflamed in their lust for one another. And then as a result, they received the due penalty. Now, let me stop again. I'm going to get to this. Part of the argument scholars use today to debunk Romans 1, it's uncanny. They say that Paul did not understand homosexuality and was unfamiliar with a number of people with same-sex attractions. Okay, I just got a prompting from the Spirit. Let me stop here. Okay, let me say this again. I've done this in the other sermons. Okay, I love the Scripture I love the Bible. I know that it brings life. However, remember what I've said. If you are in this room and you're struggling with same-sex attractions, two things. Number one, everybody's struggling with some kind of sexual immorality in their lives. You are not less than anybody else. The gospel and God's love is for you like it's for me or anybody else who struggles with some kind of sexual immorality. So hear that in my voice and and i love you i want to help you i want to get i want to get you back on course but i know your feelings and emotions are real and i want you to hear that okay listen if i'm honest and i try to be most of the time i'm a lot more concerned about how many people are addicted to pornography than i am how many people have same-sex attractions in this room okay so just so you know the argument is that paul did not understand homosexuality and was unfamiliar with the number of people with same-sex attractions. When I read that, can you be that clueless? Paul lived and wrote in a time when homosexuality was accepted as part of life for both men and women. In fact, for some 200 years, the men who ruled Rome openly practiced homosexuality, often with young boys. In fact, we know that the Roman Empire specifically taxed approved homosexual prostitution. And gave boy prostitutes a legal Roman holiday. You get a day off with pay. Some emperors married men. Actually, at the time Paul wrote, Nero was the emperor of Rome. He took a boy named Sporus. Now, I'm not getting this out of the Bible. This is just out of the history books, okay? He took a boy named Sporus, had him castrated, married him with a full ceremony and parade, brought him back to the palace and made the boy his wife. And later on, Nero married another man, only this time Nero played the role of the wife. Paul knew very well about the sexual immorality of the Roman Empire. And he was also aware of the disease or penalty that such immorality brought with it. And he said, men committed shameful acts with other men and received themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, let me just say something here. The due penalty he's talking about includes all of Romans 1, 18 through 31. So there is a due penalty in all sexual immorality. Remember, we've gone through the stages, not just homosexual relationships, not when men burn with passion for men or women with women, in all sexual immorality outside of the biblical sexual ethic. There's a due penalty. What is it? I read a report this past week out of Vanderbilt. Now, if you know Vanderbilt, they're no friend of the Christian. They, Vanderbilt has been on the front lines of mutilating young boys and girls before they get out of puberty if they decide they want to have a sex change and become male or female. So this isn't exactly a hospital with great Christian ethics, okay? I want to read to you, and I encourage you, anytime I say something like this, go home, do your own research. Here's what Vanderbilt University says. Men who have sex with men and gay men are at increased risk significant increase risk for certain types of chronic diseases, cancers, and mental health problems. There is a significant increase risk for AIDS and cancer. Why? See, that's what I wanted to know. I read that and I think, why? Okay, I'm going to give you the description here, but I got to do it in church language. So listen very carefully. According to science, here's why. And I got to read this word for word because I can't risk, okay? Your kids will be fine if they're not ruined already, okay, but let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you something. Your junior high students are hearing a lot more than this at school than they're hearing from me. Let me tell you that right now. Okay, here's the reason. Because the area of concentration is not protected from infection in the same way the area of concentration for heterosexual activity is protected against infection and disease. In other words, the body is not made to function this way. But that would also be true of heterosexual promiscuity. Vanderbilt says hepatitis, a disease of the liver, cancer, cirrhosis, liver failure, and even death. Those who are sexually promiscuous, and especially gay men who have sex with men, are at a significantly increased, they don't ever tell you this, significant increase for hepatitis, disease of the liver, cancer, cirrhosis, all of this, gay men abuse substances at a much higher rate than others. Amphetamines, crystal meth, ecstasy, and cocaine. Now, I know what some of you are gonna say. Well, of course they do because they're rejected by society. Why are they rejected by society? Is that built into culture as well? Is that built in? Men who have sex with men have higher rates of depression and anxiety. Gay teenagers and young adults have higher rate of suicide. Gay men have a much higher rate of alcohol abuse. Men who have sex with men are at higher risk for sexually transmitted diseases for the reason I just read. These risks also apply to all sexual immorality and the reason is, is because the body is not made to function this way. It's design and violate design. Sex outside of marriage does not work. It's a violation of design. It's not good for you physically, mentally, psychologically, emotionally. And there is a due penalty when you violate design that goes for all sexual immorality. Life apart from God doesn't work. And if Christians really love their neighbor, they're going to bring this message in truth and love, even if it costs you everything. We might, look, this is going to get more and more difficult, folks. This message right here, who knows, in five years, it may get me killed. You just don't know. Oh, that's not a prophecy. (laughs) I'm simply saying, when culture kicks God out, Paul goes on in verse 29. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Man, does that not describe our culture? Oh my word, they disobey their parents. Wow, isn't that interesting? That goes in there. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decrees that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, hear me, this is the end. History is cyclical. Historians tell us that there are usually four turnings in culture peace brings freedom. Freedom brings affluence. Affluence brings boredom. Boredom brings debauchery. There's an example all the way back in Genesis. I want to read this as my final example, and I think I'm just about done here. Genesis 15, 13 to 16. Something happens in the book of Genesis all the way back when the people of God have disobeyed God, and they've taken this route, and God says, okay, because you've done this, I'm going to bring in the Amorites, and they're going to take you captive. God does this all throughout the Old Testament. They're going to take you captive. You're going to learn what it is to live without me. And at some point, you're going to repent that I'm going to restore you. But notice how he says this message. I'm in Genesis 15:13. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterward, they will come out with great possessions." You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. So here's what God says. The Amorites are going to come in. This generation is going to die out for their sin. But I'm going to bring the fourth generation back because that's when I know that the Amorites will have become so sinful that I can't tolerate them anymore. Now, who are the Amorites? In ancient history, the Amorites were the worst group to come under the condemnation of God. They originated from an area around Babylon in what is now Iraq, and then they moved to the land of the Canaanites, which is now modern-day Israel. They lived around 2500 BC. Here's the description as best I can do in two minutes. Satanism and the occult. Satanism and the occult was part of the Amorite community. Child sacrifice. Child sacrifice. On the altar of Molech, they were sacrificing their children. Third, homosexuality, promiscuity, and then homosexuality with rape. And when God sees that, He said, I can't, that's it. Now, do you know that Satanism and the occult is estimated at an all time high in America today? Child sacrifice, abortion, homosexuality, homosexuality with rape, all sexual promiscuity so that young people are sleeping with people they're not married to. There's no sanctity in singleness. There's no faithfulness in marriage. There's some, but overall, are we not the Amorites? The million dollar question is what on earth is going on here? Man, we are in unprecedented times. I had a bunch more research I wanted to give you. I don't have time to do that except to say that we know scientifically speaking, things like gender dysphoria, this is a pretty serious issue among our kids and it's real but we're told that 80 to 95% of those who are allowed to mature naturally through puberty resolve the dysphoria so we're mutilating them and doing things to them from which they can't they can't reverse why so the question is why what what are we doing why are we doing this why are we pushing things in our culture that are just that ruin people and i keep reading and reading and trying to discover there's all kinds of opinions you know some people say that it's population control This is the way they're going to control the population. They're going to make us all sterile. Some people say it's the Illuminati. Some people say it's totally about the wealthy oppressing the poor and saving the planet. Some people say it's all about pharmaceuticals. They just want more and more money. I read all of it, but I can't tell you what's going on. All I can tell you is this. This is why I'm so aggressive with this. Our kids are guinea pigs. Our kids, you know what they're doing to our kids? I think they're just bored and they want to test some things to see what happens in the next generation. They're using your kids to do it. Let's see how society goes if we go this route. Let's see how it goes. if we, When you don't have an objective authority, feelings and emotions take over and you become foolish and the plans you make do not eventuate the way you thought they would. It goes right back to Romans 1. We parents got to wake up we got to make sure we teach our children well. We're in the final hours. Culture is powerful and strong. But the Bible also says when these things come, it will separate the wheat from the chaff. The true Christ follower. The cream will rise to the top. Now having said all of this, whatever's going on, do you think I lose any sleep? You, why don't you preach on these things more, Pastor? Jeff? Pastor Jeff, why don't you talk about the Illuminati? Why don't you talk about how we're losing America? Why don't you talk about the political situation? Because I don't care. I mean, I care with empathy, but I'm not going to solve anything by flooding your mind with that stuff. We know it's true, all of it. So my hope is not here. My hope is in heaven. I will stand up for what is right. But I will not spend my life trying to restore things that are lost other than Scripture and the Word of God. And I will preach the gospel and preach Christ and Him crucified for all people, one and all. Christ died for all people who would call on His name. But as far as you and I go, how then do we live? Romans 13, and do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come. For you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. My message to you is wake up and watch repent and redirect your life if you need to saturate your mind with the word of God save your soul folks we're going to be marginalized we're going to be pushed down I promise you if you're the the genuine authentic Christ follower is going to find it more and more difficult to live in this world but God can bring revival And as he brings revival, those who are in the world looking for a different answer because they know that what they're doing is futile will find their way in. So your job, stand on the truth, but do it in love. Everything God does, even his wrath is for repentance until the final day. Everything you do and the way you do it should be in the hopes of not winning an argument, but of winning a soul. Because you've got sin in your life too. So do I, so do we. Let's be that light city on the hill that cannot be hidden. That's all I have to say about that. Father, I thank you and praise you for Romans 1, for the truth of your word. And Father, your word is truth. It may be difficult sometimes, but it is truth. Give us a renewed passion for the word of God to saturate our minds with it, our lives with it, to love people, but to stand on your truth and never back down. We know if we don't stand for something, we'll fall for everything. Help us stand on the word of God that lasts forever in Christ's name everybody said Amen. you've been listening to today with Jeff Vines next time we'll bring you a new message from pastor Jeff you can listen to more messages like this just search for today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts hey, you make me wonder.